G'day everyone, welcome to episode 7 of the Shack series. Uh, so we've got Brett Hawke coming on, which I'm pretty excited about that, got heaps and heaps of questions um, for him. Thank you to everyone who, who sent in um, your questions, can't wait to pick his brain a little bit. Uh, he's got arguably one of the greatest swimming minds in the world, so very, very fortunate enough to have a chat with him today. So, should be jumping on soon, hopefully. Hopefully he jumps on soon, otherwise I'm just going to be here talking to myself. It's not going to be very fun. Hey, Brett. What's up, mate? Not much, not much. I'm just here in the shop, uh, the, sh- the Swimwear Shack HQ. So, yeah, how are you? How are you? Nice, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for jumping on. Um, can't wait to, to pick your brain a little bit. Um, you know, you've, you've been in the sport a very long time as a swimmer, as a coach, and now you're hosting your own podcast, um, which has absolutely gone ballistic. Um, so congratulations on uh, becoming the number one swimming pod- podcast in the world. Thanks, mate. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I've been having a lot of fun with it the past five months. And, uh, yeah, it doesn't seem to be slowing down. It seems to be speeding up and getting a lot of fun guests on there. So it's been pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to kick off the questions. Um, so when did you start swimming? Um, we, all, we, we always had a pool in our backyard in, in Sydney. I grew up in Maroubra in Sydney. And we always had a pool of some sort. It started off with a above-ground pool when I was young. And then it went to, uh, um, you know, below-ground pool. And, and then we were just uh, in the pool all the time. But I, I didn't start training until I was 11. I started um, getting in the squad training when I was 11. Yeah. Um, how did you deal with an upsetting race? Upsetting race? Um, back then, back when I was younger, I just, I loved to compete, but, um, I didn't like to lose, you know, like I was like anybody else. I didn't, I didn't love losing. I didn't love that feeling. So generally, um, in the car ride home with my dad, my dad would generally take me to the swim meet. We'd just be quiet and he'd try and say something. And I just say, dad, just stop talking. Like, just give me a minute. I need a time to process it, you know? And, um, and then after I would think, okay, what, what could I have done better there? How could I have done, how could I have done that different? Like what went wrong? You know, where, where can I get better? I'd always question myself first. I never, I never looked around. I never made excuses. I always just sat internally with it. Um, and that's kind of how I just grew over time is I just, uh, I just figured things out over time and figured out, all right, that didn't go the way I wanted it to. What can I do better? And so, I always tried to find ways that I could improve no matter how bad something went. Um, so when you retired from swimming, so looking back now, um, do you think it was the right decision at the time? And if not, what would you have changed? Yeah, I think so, mate. I, uh, I went to two Olympics and, and I finished um, – I finished halfway through an Olympiad. So I finished in 2006 
And in 2008, I actually coached the guy that won the gold medal. And I don't think if I was swimming, I don't think I would have beaten him at the time, you know. So um, I, I wasn't, you know, swimming really jumped forward in like between 2006, 2008, you know, everybody started to swim really fast. And so I'm kind of glad I got out at the right time. I was 31 at that stage. And um, I don't, I don't look back with regrets because I felt like I really didn't want to make the decision until I felt ready. And, and I felt like at 31, I was definitely ready to go on and do something else. Yeah. Um, so what, so what was your favorite all time achievement um, from coaching and what was your favorite all time achievement from swimming? Mate, it sounds like you want to uh, start a podcast. You, you, you're starting to <laughs> <laughs> get the hang of it that's good i like it well i'm getting better with my words which is good yeah that's how i started mate you just you just start asking questions and then you figure out how to get better at it so good stuff yeah how old are you i'm 24 24 and you you still swim i still swim yeah hopefully hopefully next year uh first of all goes ahead um and secondly um yeah aiming for my second olympics would be Amazing, yeah. yeah. And um, and what's your events? Two hundred freestyle. Oh, okay, sweet. What's your best time in that? Uh, one forty-seven four. That's quick, eh? So, yeah, it's not bad. Uh, unfortunate that Australia has such depth in that event. So, um, I'm predicting a one forty-six mid to low, maybe for qualification next year. <laughs> Who's your coach? Dean Boxel. Oh, Dean. Fuck, I love Dean. I'm yeah. trying to get him on my podcast, mate. Tell him to come on my podcast. Oh, yeah. He's terrible with technology. So, nah, I'll get onto that for you. <laughs> you see how I just flipped, the, uh, I flipped, the, I flipped this whole thing around yeah. on you right now. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't like talking about myself uh, too much. It makes me uncomfortable, you know. I'd much rather be asking the questions. Yeah. Yeah. So well, that's you, maybe uh, why you're you... so successful. <laughs> you swim in Rio? Yeah, I swam in the four by two hundred freestyle relay. Oh, great! How, how did the how did the team end up? What place? Uh fourth, fourth. So Japan uh, was about half a second in front. Okay. Who else was on? The, who who was on the relay team in the in the final? Uh, Thomas Fraser Holmes, uh, Mac Horton. Um, geez, this feels so long ago. Yeah. Um, Dan Smith. Yeah. Four years. Jeez. Um, Dave McKeon. Yeah. I think that was it. Oh, okay. That's a, that's a good team. Good team. Yeah. Uh, I interviewed, um, Kyle Chalmers yesterday. Yeah. That was good. Went, went really well. He's a, he's a smart kid. Um, anyway, I completely forgot the question you asked me. Sorry. Oh, um, favorite all time achievement from, from coaching and from swimming? Um, my favorite all-time achievement, obviously, for me, was when I swam in lane five of the Olympics in the 53. Like, I always dreamed of, of swimming the fastest race at the Olympic Games against the best people in the world. And then all of a sudden, I'm in lane five in the final. I'm like, it was just a dream come true for me. I had had all these incredible – I had incredible athletes with me and I also – had beaten a bunch of athletes to get in that final. So it was a beautiful day, actually. Um, 
I'll show you what it was like. It's, it's very much like where I am right now. I'm in, I'm in San Diego right now. And uh, the night that I swam in the final of the Olympics, was, it looked like this, mate. Can you see that? <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Beautiful, hey? Yeah, it was, it was very much like the night that I swam in the final in Athens. Uh, it was just a night like this. So it was just gorgeous, man. And um, so that was kind of a highlight for me. And then, uh, and then two years, uh, no, four years later, I took Caesar Cielo to the Olympics in, uh, in Beijing. And, and we ended up winning the gold medal, man. And uh, it was pretty incredible. You know, that was, that was definitely a, a special moment because it was actually the first time in Brazil's history that, that ever won a gold medal in, in swimming at the Olympics. So um, they hadn't won one before that. They haven't won one after that. And um, so it's a pretty special achievement, you know? Yeah. In saying that, um, so I remember from the staging camp where you, where you spoke to us at Auburn University uh, when we went there before Rio. And yeah. what, what blew me away the most was the story of Caesar um, before that race. You, you mentioned that he, he was unmotivated. He did not want to go. And, and you pretty much said, you know, put on your, your team uniform and, and head to the pool. But it was, it was so crazy that he was so unmotivated to compete and yet he still won. That completely just goes against the whole rule book of, you know, you need that, that racer mentality. But, you know, he yeah. just came out and, and still won. Well, actually, what he was unmotivated for was the final of the 100 freestyle, which was the day before. He, he made the final in the 100, but he, he qualified in lane eight, and he wasn't happy about being in lane eight. He's like, I can't, I can't win from lane eight. Like, I didn't come here to lose, and I, and I can't win from lane eight. I can't win a medal. He's like, I'm not, I'm not going to be on the podium, and I don't want to race. And so I was like, listen, you're getting on the podium from lane eight. Like, we're going to make it happen. He's like, no, I'm not, I'm not ready for that. I, I can't, I can't beat these guys. And I was like, we're, we're, we're doing it. We're getting on the podium. So he ended up getting the bronze medal from lane eight in the hundred. And after that race, he's like, Oh, I'm going to win the 50. No one's going to stop me now. So like, it was more, it was more of his fear of failure at that point. Like he didn't want to fail. It wasn't so much that he was unmotivated to compete. It was just, he had such a high standard for himself that he didn't want to go to the Olympics and lose. And then when he actually ended up winning a medal, he knew that his best race was coming. He was like, if I got a medal in the, in the race that I'm not real good at, he's like, no one's going to stop me in the race that I'm good at. So that's when his confidence just went through the roof. Uh, so what was the hardest set that you ever did as a swimmer? And before you answer this, anyone who's kind of watching – um, and thinks that sprinters don't have it as hard as middle distance swimmers. I've heard it so many times. Um, and yet it is the hardest, like sprinting's the worst. Um, <laughs> what is the hardest set that you did as a swimmer? The hardest set I did as a swimmer? Um, anything anything that, that got my lactate as high as I could possibly get it. You know, like they have... At the swimming pool, they have sports scientists that come to the pool and they take your lactate, you know, and they say, all right, your lactate's a six or a seven or, a, or a, if it's really high, it's like a 12 or a 14. But like um, the highest your lactate can get on the, on the register is 22. 
And I did a set of four 100s on 10 minutes once. And at the end of the fourth 100, I got my lactate and it was 22. Like, they were like, you went off the register. So, like, my, I had lactate coming out of my eyeballs. It was, there was so much lactate. So, like, I don't care what set you put up. If you're producing that kind of lactate where it, uh, your body just seizes up and you, you just, you just want to die at that point. You'd much rather be dead than alive then that, yeah. that's hard, you know? So I, I, th I don't think it's so much the set itself, right? Like, I think, I think in swimming we get caught up in like, oh, that was really hard or that was, you know, that's impossible. But it really comes down to your effort and your intention. If you, if you give maximum effort and your intention is to hurt yourself that day, like that was my intention. I'm like, I'm going out to hurt myself. I'm going to put myself in as much pain as I can physically put myself in. And when you have that attitude, it doesn't matter what the coach writes up. He can write anything up. I can, I can do vertical kick. Listen to this. I can do vertical kick with a chair above my head for five minutes, and that's going to be the hardest thing you'll ever do in your life. Like you'll, you'll drown in five minutes with a chair above your head. And so like you don't even have to go anywhere. So to me, it's not about – what was written on the paper it's about the intention and the quality of the effort that that counts the most yeah yeah absolutely anyone who who does a proper sprint session and thinks that it's easy clearly hasn't done it hard enough in my opinion yeah, exactly. anyway yeah uh what has been the toughest part of being a world-class coach the toughest part of being a world-class coach is that everybody expects you to be a world-class coach and not everybody is destined to be a world-class swimmer, you know? And um, so like, I'm only as good as the athletes that I'm coaching. And so um, there's been many times where I've failed as a coach and that doesn't make me world-class, you know, it just, it, it, I look at it as, as failure. And so, um, you know, anytime you have a relationship with an athlete, it's, it's 50, 50, you know, like, I can only be as good as they let me and they can only be as good as I let them. And so I've got to do my part. They have to do their part. And when you have, when you have two people that are willing to give everything they got and commit to something, then you can be as you can, you can be the best in the world. You know, you can go all the way if you have um, the right agreement and the agreement has to be, I'm going to be the best coach I can be. You're going to be the best athlete you can be. And then together we're going to be unstoppable. But it, you know, just just to say, hey, you're you're a world class coach. I don't I don't buy into that. Like, you have to be a world class athlete for me to be a world class coach, and vice versa. And that way, it, it's a relationship that works really well. Yeah. Uh, favorite country that you visited and why? Favorite country I visited. Um, for me, was uh, is Rome. I love Rome. I love history. I'm a, I'm a history buff, and so I love the history of Rome. And um, we went there for the 2009 World Championships, and not only did I get to spend time in the most beautiful city in the world. Uh, actually, I said I said country Rome. I meant Italy. Rome's in Italy. Yeah, okay, yeah. So, uh, that's what I meant to say. Uh, shoot me. Um, so Italy is my most favorite country. Rome is my most favorite city. So. Um, yeah, Rome is absolutely gorgeous. Love it and uh, had a great experience there. That's where Caesar broke the world record in the 100 freestyle, which still stands to this day. And uh, just have so many great memories from, uh, from that event and, and being in Italy and, and um, just love Rome, man. 
Yeah. What about everyone? You? Everyone that I've had on. Um, Belgium. Belgium was great. Mm. So okay. yeah, Belgium was great, nice. and and Germany. Chocolate. I love them. Yeah, yeah, oh, love my chocolate. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone who I've had on has said Rome is their favourite place. So. Yeah, Rome's gorgeous. Italy, Italy's amazing. Yeah, beautiful people, great, food, like incredible food. The weather's gorgeous. Um, you know, you can ride around on a scooter and it's trendy. You know, it's just like it's just a beautiful place to be. Good, good vibe. You know. Hmm. Uh, so, what was the purpose behind Inside with Brett Hawke? Um, and did you think it was going to blow up as much as it did? Uh, not really, you know, like I started off, um, I was having conversations with really high level coaches and really high level athletes just sitting at the dinner table or um, at breakfast or having a coffee. And, you know, I was having these really interesting conversations. And I, I always said to them, whenever I'd have a conversation with somebody, I'd be like, man, I wish other people were here to, here to listen to this. Like, this is really valuable information. And so I would just travel around do, doing all these different meets and having really interesting conversations. And I kept, uh, people kept saying to me like, Brett, you asked really good questions. Why don't you, why don't you start a podcast? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't think it's for me. And I just kept putting it off, putting it off. Um, but I'm, I'm really into sports psychology. Like I, I, I'm really into the mental game and it really fascinates mm. me. And so when we, when we were kind of, um, heading into this COVID period where, you know, things were starting to look like they were going to lock down and stuff. I was like, I really want to start to just get inside the minds of people. And so for me, it was like inside means like, I want to get inside your brain. I want to know what you're thinking. I want to know what you're feeling. And um, I want to know that, how that's affecting your performances. And so for me, when I, when I named the podcast inside with Bray Hawk, it's really letting me inside your head because that's where I want to be. Uh, I think that's, I think the brain is so powerful. I think it's so fascinating. And um, I, I think it's really one of those areas of performance that we haven't really figured out yet and we haven't mastered and there's so much to learn. And so that's, that's why I really enjoy the podcast is because I, I don't really go into the science um, or the physiology. I go more into the psychology of like, how did you get that performance or, or like a guy with Dan, like Dan Kowalski is like, why didn't you get that performance that you could have gotten? So it's interesting to me to ask those questions, you know? Mm. Uh, you've had a lot of athletes on your podcast. So who is the favorite that you've had? And do you have a favorite? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I'm sorry to all the ones. Uh, Dylan Carter's on here right now. Dylan, Dylan is one of the first guys on my podcast. So Dylan, I love you, my friend. <laughs> Um, but I have to say my favorite interview was Alex Popoff because, um, Alex, uh, Alex was hard to get, you know, he, he's, uh, he's just in the, in the middle of Russia, just out, out in the country in Russia. And so I, I had to track him down, man. I had to, had to send out some special forces, you know, and, uh, but Alex, Alex is just a legend, you know, Alex is, uh, is, you know, if not the greatest sprinter of all time, you know, and, um, you know, I idolized him growing up as a, as a young athlete in Australia. He lived in Australia. I trained um, with him many times. I competed with him, against him many times. I traveled the world with him. Uh, and I just found him fascinating. And so to, to get him on a podcast was really inspiring. And, and we, had, we just had a great conversation. 
and I was really appreciative. And then, you know, a couple of a couple of weeks later, his his coach passed away, which was kind of devastating because we were. You now I know how close he was to Gennady, and I know how important he was to his whole um, process and, and life. And um, so it was nice to be able to talk about Gennady a few weeks before he'd actually passed away. You know. Hmm. Uh, so looking back on the history of swimming uh, and how far swimmers have come in terms of performance and time, um, how do you think athletes will get better in future? So this has come down to the absolute minor details that athletes need to, to absolutely just nail in order to you know, qualify eighth or get a medal or to win. So how do you see athletes getting better in future? What, what do you think they would need to do they need to listen to my podcast man that's what they need to do all all the yeah. answers are in there man but there's a lot of answers we're, we're figuring things out you know i think i think like i said to you we've done a really good job understanding the physiology of sports we we haven't done a great job in understanding the psychology yet we still have a long way to go and so i think that you know you you can have the the best trained athlete in the world they could be ready to do incredible things and you can walk into that ready room or that marshalling area whatever you call it you can walk into that room and all of a sudden you can start to have doubts and then you have a physical reaction to those doubts and then you go out and you have to you see the crowd and then you have sponsors and you have family and you have television and you have like you have pressure and then how do you respond to that so it's like we need to really figure out how to get athletes to perform under pressure. And, um, and once we understand how to navigate that better, that's when I think performances are really going to take off. I, I don't think we've scratched the surface with, with the power of the mind yet. Um, like I said, I think we've done a good job with the physiology, but the, the mental side of it, I think we can go to a whole nother level. So I'm expecting mm. um, us to continue to break world records um, over the course of the next few years, for sure, once we start to really understand the psychology. Mm. Uh, greatest swimming story that you've ever experienced. So uh, in saying that, uh, again, at the staging camp, you did mention the 51st style at the 2000 Olympics, uh, which you thought, set, sitting in the marshalling room, that you didn't think Alex Popov was going to swim. It was actually Peter Van den Hoogenband, yeah. So, oh, Peter, uh, sorry. <laughs> it's all right, it's all right. Peter had actually won the 100 freestyle the night before uh, in Sydney, and he'd broken the world record. He went 47.8, and, and the 50 really wasn't his, his distance. He, he, um, I believe he won the 200 as well. That's when, he, that's, when, uh, that's when he beat Thorpe in the 200, right? And, uh, yeah, that's right. So he, he'd won the 100 and the 200 at the Sydney Olympics. And so the word on the street was he was just not going to turn up for the 50. And I was in the heat with him. So he's in lane five. I was in lane six for the heat, uh, the final heat. And um, the word on the street was he wasn't going to show up. And so I was like, great, you know, like, I don't have to worry about Peter. And uh, just as they called us out to walk out to the stadium in, in front of the crowd, um, Peter just jumped in front of me and I was like, shit, mm. Peter's here, you know, like, <laughs> and so he just got in my head and that's what I mean about the psychology is like, 
I was ready to go. I was trained, but I, I was at that stage, I was thinking about Peter and really I should have just been thinking about myself. It's not, you don't go to the Olympics to beat people. You go to, you go to the Olympics yeah. to express who you are and, and what you can do. You know, it's not about trying to beat people at that stage. It's just about performing at your best. And if you've got someone else in your head at that stage, you're not allowing yourself to have the freedom to express how great you are because someone else is in your head. And that's where I made a critical mistake by allowing Peter to get in my head right before I was going to go out there and perform supposedly at my best. Hmm. Um, so why did you move um, from Australia to the USA? And do you think that you'll move back to Australia? Originally I moved, um, because I was, I was pretty disappointed in a performance. I swam at the 96 Olympic trials and, um, I actually qualified for the team. I finished six in the hundred freestyle. You know what it's like. If you finish top six in the hundred or the 200, you actually meet the qualifying standards for the Australian team. And so I did, I finished six and, um, the head coach came up to me and said, look, you know, you're pretty much going to go to the Olympics, but you've got to finish first or second in the 50 freestyle. And, um, and I, uh, I finished third by three one hundredths of a second a couple of days later in the, in the 50. And no one said a word to me. I just waited for the announcement of the team. And so I'm thinking, well, I still finished six. Okay, I didn't, I didn't finish first or second. But, like, I, I, made the, I made the standard, so they're going to pick me. So I'm sitting in the stands waiting for the announcement of the team my name doesn't get read out and I'm just at that stage, I'm, I'm devastated. Like, I don't know what to do with myself. So I was like, I just went home. And again, I started to think, what, what am I going to do here? I, I panicked. I'm not going to the Olympic games. I'm, I'm 21 years old. Like, I don't know what to do with my life. So at that stage, I was like, I'm going to America. I'm going to go to, I'm going to go swim in college. And uh, that's when I decided to pick up and just say, you know what? I'm taking a chance. Everybody was telling me it's the wrong thing to do. And I was like, I'm backing myself this time. I'm, I'm going to go do it. And I spent three years um, training in America and just um, it was the best decision I ever made for me. And uh, came back and, you know, four years later, I made the Australian team and, and, and qualified first in the 50 freestyle. So for me, it was, it was the best decision of my life. Hmm. Uh, where do you see yourself in five to 10 years time? Do you have an ultimate long-term goal? Yeah, I see myself on Spotify making a hundred million dollars off my podcasts. <laughs> Joe Rogan. Rogan. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I don't know, man. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm enjoying where I'm at. I just moved out to LA right now. I'm in San Diego, but um, just moved out to LA a couple of months ago and, and that's been nice. I was living in Alabama for 15 years and uh, it was nice to get out of there finally and experience something different. So um, I'm, I'm around really good people right now. I'm doing some really good things. I'm really happy. And, uh, you know, five years from now, who knows, man, we'll, we'll see where we end up. Hmm. Maybe I can pick your brain again in five years time and ask the same question. Absolutely, mate. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Who is your favorite Australian dolphin? So this can be anyone that you looked up to uh, that was your teammate or a current Australian dolphin. Yeah, one of, one, I had some really close friends on the Australian team. Um, I tell this story a lot uh, for Australians, especially 
um, when, when we got picked on the uh, 2000 team, they put us all in a room and they said, all right, everybody, you guys can pick your own roommates for the Olympics. And so uh, it was my first team uh, for Australia. So I really didn't know anybody. So everybody had been on the team for a bunch of years. They all kind of like picked people straight away. And there was just kind of two people left. And uh, I saw this guy on the other side of the room. So I walk over. I'm like, hey, man, you got you got a roommate yet? And he's like, nah, man. I was like, you want to be my roommate? And he's like, yeah, sure, sounds good. So uh, it ended up being Justin Norris. And uh, Justin ended up getting the um, bronze medal in the 200 fly. And uh, we ended yeah. up becoming we ended up becoming best buddies. Um, now he's got kids that are like YouTube stars, and uh, yeah, but, but, but we roomed, um, uh, you know, at a, at, a, at many um, many Australian um, around the world together for for many years. Me and him, and we became best buds. So uh, he's awesome. And then and then I one of my training partners um, later in my career was Michael Clem and. I was. I ended up being best man at Clemmy's wedding. Him and I are real good friends to this day, and so um, you know, I, I've been lucky to have really close relationships with some cool guys on the team. You know. Hmm. Uh, do you have any mentors that help you shape your coaching philosophies? Yeah, for sure. I'm. I'm at one of one of their houses right now. Um, David Marsh. <laughs> uh, this is his house uh, in San Diego. Nice, nice spot. Uh, yeah, it's a great spot. Um, but he he was my coach in college when I when I moved to America in '96. Um, I came to swim for David Marsh, and you know we've been we've been friends ever since. Now I'm staying at his house, you know. So it's like it, it's been a long journey, but um, David's definitely been a mentor of mine. All, all the coaches I've had have taught me a lot of things, you know. All the coaches I had have taught me how to be a better coach myself because uh, I learned from really good coaches. Uh, Brian Sutton was my coach in Sydney. I had uh, Ian Pope. Um, you know, I had uh, – and then and then um, a coach that had a real big impact on me was Richard Quick as well. Richard was a coach that passed away in 2009 from brain cancer, but I got to spend um, 18 months with him, working under him. So he, he's, he was fantastic for my career as well. So I've uh, been really fortunate to have good coaches in my life. Uh, who's the most hardworking athlete that you've ever coached? That I've ever coached? The, the, the hardest working athlete I've, I've ever seen is Grant Hackett. Grant Hackett mm. is an animal. That guy could take some work, man. Um, never seen anybody able to take work like he could. He, he was a machine. Um, so I don't think there's anyone I've ever coached that's anywhere close to him. But I uh, got to spend mm. many, many years watching him train. Um, the hardest uh, athlete I've ever coached. Um, I don't know. I you know, I think there's I think there's hardworking athletes, and I think there's there's diligent athletes. You know, one of the most diligent ones was Fred Brisquet. Fred Brisquet broke the world record. He was the first man to go under 21 seconds in the 50 free, but he just did everything right. Like towards the end of his career. Um, he gave up things that he was doing early on in his career that probably held him back a little bit. You know, he, he was just uh, very straight. He, he did everything a professional athlete would need to do in order to be successful. He ate well. He went to bed on time. He stretched. He did, he did his prehab. He, did, he worked out hard in the pool. Um, he watched videos. I mean, he, he just did everything necessary in order to be the best swimmer in the world for a number of years. And um, – 
he ended up breaking the world record going 20.994, I think. And, uh, you know, so, so I would say Fred Busquet is one of those guys that really sticks out in my memory as, as a really diligent worker. Hmm. Uh, what is the most impressive set that you've done and what is the most impressive set that you've seen someone do? So has there been a session that you've just done and you've just been like, I am on here, like I'm untouchable, anything like that? You know, most days I walked out of the pool, I, I said that to myself, like, Brett, you're untouchable yeah. today, you know? <laughs> it's, really, uh, it's really part of the sprinter's mentality, right? Most of the time yeah. I was just having a hot shower while I'd say that to myself, you know, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I tell this story. Uh, one day I walked into the pool and I just, I was, I was really down and I walked up to my coach and I was like, Oh, he's like, uh, uh, it's Ian Pope was my coach. And um, mm. he's like, what's up, man? What's wrong? So oh, I'm really tired today. He's like, what are you tired from? So like, man, I've been carrying these things around all day. <laughs> that's kind of the that's the sprinter's mentality, you know. Um, but uh, the hardest set, I, I don't know, for whatever reason, I just remember, I remember um, doing sets that required me to be as good as I could possibly be um, multiple times over. So, like, I remember doing a set where I, had, where I suited up and I just went 450s and I was trying to go all four under 23 seconds long course um, on 10 minutes. And, uh, and that's, and I, and I did it from a dive. And um, I remember, you know, being 22 mid to, to 22.7, kind of in that range, 22.5, 22.7, four times in a row. So for me, that's a set that sticks out in my memory of like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm swimming well right now. You know, all I got to do is drop another half a second. I'm in the medal hunt at the time. So, you know, they're, they're kind of sets that stick out in my mind in, in memory where I was, I was pretty hot that day. Um, but, uh, but I don't know, you know, I, I, try, I try not to do full swims as a coach. I try to do more um, broken swims, you know, like we'll do a lot of 15s, 25s, 35s, um, sometimes up to 75. But uh, I try not to do a lot of just straight, straight swims because I think um, – you know, swimmers can, can compare themselves a lot. Like, you know, I'm, I'm so far off my best time, but if you swim a 15, you know, or a 25, you can do that multiple times and still feel pretty good about yourself, you know? And um, mm. so that's kind of the way I, as a coach, I always wanted my athletes to walk off the pool deck feeling successful. You know, I wanted them to walk off with a smile on their face. I never wanted my sprinters to walk away feeling down or feeling defeated i wanted them to feel successful um so generally i would give them stuff that was just short repeats of work that they could they could pump out you know mm. so in the gym because when i was looking at uh you know photos of you to post up for our followers mm. you're flexing a lot did you do nothing but curls in the gym and uh you know what was your gym program like you know because you're you're shredded more than cheese so what was your gym like? Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I ate well and then I did a lot of sprinting and then I did a lot of lifting, you know. So for me, um, everything I did was about shredding, you know. I just, I just stay shredded all the time. And um, I, had a, I had a fast metabolism as well, you know. So 
I was pretty gifted with that. Like if, if, if I could say that I was gifted with anything, it was a fast metabolism. So, um, you know, it was that. And the other, the other gift I was given is just the ability to swim at top end speed, um, for a very short distance. Like I could, I could swim as fast as anybody on top of the water that, than that I've ever seen for just a very short distance, you know? So I, mm. I was gifted with a couple of those, you know, gifts and, um, just tried to exploit those. But yeah, I, I, uh, I like chocolate too. You know, I'm like you, I like chocolate. So, uh, my teammates used to get jealous because I would just look ripped all the time and I'd just be eating chocolate. So <laughs> it's not a bad issue to have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, in your opinion, uh, who is currently flying under the radar and will surprise you next year at the Olympics? So you've had a lot of athletes, uh, again, on, on your podcast. Is there any that have, like, stuck out to you that you think this is the one to watch? I actually coached a guy for a, a number of years, for three years in college, and uh, he's gone on to, to swim uh, in the last couple of years for Team USA. But... Um, I really think he's a special athlete. I think he's really gifted. Um, and he's just not talked about at all right now because he's racing Caleb Dressel and everybody thinks Caleb Dressel's the man. But um, I coached a guy by the name of uh, Zach Apple. Do you know who that is? Yeah, yeah. He was at the uh, – I raced him last year, the World Uni Games. So, yeah, yeah, great athlete. Yeah, yeah. Just really raw, um, super talented, really hard worker. Um but he only started swimming, you know, really late, kind of when he was like uh, 16 and um, just came on really late. Uh, but I think he's got tons of potential, man. He can swim a good 200, and, but, but primarily, you know, he can knock out a great 100 long course. I, I think potentially he could, he could surprise a lot of people. Um, so I think he's, he's certainly one guy to watch um, that nobody's really talking about on the US, in the U.S. right now. Hmm. Uh, what is the biggest lesson that you learned as a swimmer? Biggest lesson. I was talking to Susie O'Neill about this, actually. She, she kind of said the same thing is like, just, um, I think people like you and I and, and people that make it as far as we make it is like, we don't quit, you know, we just don't quit. And, and that's the thing I learned is I wasn't the most talented athlete growing up um, in my group. I, I grew up with a lot of really good athletes in my community. Um, but I, I just didn't quit, man. Like, I wanted to be good. I wanted to be successful. And, and when other people found reasons to stop wanting to be great, I found reasons to want to continue to be great, you know. And, and that, that's really what it came down to. And that's kind of what I, what I do even with my, with my podcast. You know, it didn't start off that good, but I've just found ways to make it better and better. And eventually, you know, you get to a point where you're, you're competitive. You're, you're one of the best in the world at what you do because you just stick with it and you're tenacious. And um, that's what swimming really taught me was um, just, to, just to keep fighting, you know, just keep battling, keep fighting, and just keep believing in yourself no matter what. Um, that, that's the biggest lesson I took from it. Hmm. Uh, and last question, what advice would you give your younger self? Uh, you know, to really, um, to really believe in myself more, you know, I, I mean, ultimately 
you're going to face, you're going to face good people in everything, um, in, in everything you do in life. You're going to face people that are really good at what they do. But uh, ultimately, I wish I had believed in myself more. I wish I had backed myself more to say anything is possible and, and anybody can get beaten on any given day. Um, you know, there were times where uh, I just, I, I heard how good somebody else was and you let that seep into your belief system, you know. Um, who's the fastest swimmer in the world in your event? Um, Dennis, Dennis Rapsis or Clyde Lewis, which is a training partner of mine. So yeah. I think, I think he'll surprise a lot of people next year. Mm, that's good. You know, but, um, you, you kind of get sick of hearing about how good they are, you know, because uh, everybody tells you how great they are all the time. Oh, he's amazing. He's amazing. And it kind of just seeps into your belief system of like, yeah, they're better than me, you know, and whether, whether I don't think it's a conscious thing. It's more of a subconscious thing. So I wish I had have taken more control of my subconscious and, and believe that I'm as good as anybody and I can beat anybody. And, and I don't think I fully absorbed that into my subconscious. And so when I got to a point where I had to try and prove that, I, I didn't believe it as much as I should have, you know, and um, it affected my performances negatively. And so now I'm at a point where I, I feel like I can beat anybody at anything and I'm just going to believe that. And, um, and even if I even if I stumble, I'm gonna pick myself back up and and go again, you know, and eventually figure it out. Because, um, you know, r right now, um, yeah, it might might be crazy to think that I could compete with Joe Rogan, but hey, who's to say that I can't one day? You know, we'll we'll mm. see. But you just got to believe those things about yourself. So that's what I'd say to my younger self. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. Uh for coming on. I had a great chat, learned heaps, and um, yeah, it was good to, to finally be able to pick your brain a bit. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, I mean, it, it goes to show, it goes to say a lot about you and who you are by reaching out to me and asking you to do this and then putting the questions together. So, um, very impressed, mate, and uh, I'll, be, I'll be watching out for you, all right? Yeah, thanks heaps, Brett. No worries. Take make care. And, uh, next year? Oh yeah, I'm gonna. I'm like, yeah, I'm throwing absolutely everything at this. So, yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Good stuff. Good luck. Hey, if you need anything, just reach out to me. You know how to get me, all right? Yeah. Thanks, Steve Spratt. All right, mate. Take care. See ya. Bye. Right. Wow, that was awesome. Uh, thanks so much, guys. Uh, for joining in um, until next time, uh, episode eight. We'll probably do next Saturday, maybe. Um, and I think you'll love the next person that's coming on. So see you next time.